Hello and welcome to the Beer Prime podcast, episode 39. I'm Paul Newton and today's guest is Charlotte Cook from Coalition Brewery. Thank you for joining me again on the Beer Prime podcast. This is the first episode of 2022 and the first episode since my Christmas special. So it's been over a month since the last one. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas and New Year. And if you're doing dry January, I hope you've discovered lots of great low or no alcohol beers and beverages for you to enjoy. Later on, I'll be chatting with Charlotte Cook from Coalition Brewery. Charlotte has had a varied and interesting brewing career over the last 10 years, starting at Brewdog and taking in the likes of Pohjala in Estonia, brewing institution Truman's and Manchester's craft giants Cloudwater, amongst others. She is now at Coalition Brewery, a relatively new venture, Cuckoo Brewing in Sussex, but hoping to establish their own London home in the coming months. We talk about her brewing journey so far, the various challenges and the learning curves that she's had to negotiate. We also speak about the recent allegations involving various breweries, including Brewdog. This conversation was recorded before the recent BBC Scotland documentary aired last Monday. Before that, though, let's have a look at a few interesting things to have surfaced over the last few weeks. Well, Brewdog are in the news again, and that's mainly because of the documentary, Disclosure, which was shown on BBC Scotland on Monday night and is also available to view on the BBC iPlayer. I won't go into detail in case any of you want to watch it and haven't seen it yet, but it's definitely worth a view. My conversation with Charlotte did cover some of this, but there's so much more to see in the show. Something else that caught my eye recently, and that's the news that Lion Little World Beverages are putting their two UK craft purchases, 4Pure and Magic Rock, up for sale. Now, 4Pure, famous for being at one end of the Bermondsey Beer Mile, were purchased in 2018, while Huddersfield's Magic Rock were acquired in 2019. Lion Little World is an Australasian company owned by Japan's Kirin, a macrobrewery with links to funding atrocities in Myanmar. Many craft drinkers have boycotted both brands since their purchases, something that tends to happen when a craft brewery is snapped up by big beer anyway, so allegations of complicity in genocide really tip the balance. I'm very interested to see how this develops. Four Pure and Magic Rock were both well regarded before their respective sellouts, and beers such as Last Train, Juice Box, Shapeshifter, Cannonball, Sorcery and Common Grounds were amongst the best sellers. Indeed, if you look at 4Pure's lineup now, you'll see that the beer names have all been replaced by merely a style descriptor. In my opinion, I don't see another macro giant swooping in to snap up these breweries. The foray into the UK craft scene, and let's remember that Lions still own Australian and US craft brands that they don't mention putting up for sale, so it is just the UK ones, It hasn't worked for Lion. I wouldn't have thought that these two failures, as they'll be perceived, will be attractive to another one of the big beer beer moths. So who does that leave to buy them? Well, 
another big UK brewer could consider purchasing the sites, if not the brands, to develop into, particularly as Four Pure's location on the beer-rich Bermondsey Beer Mile is quite key. But I don't see that either. There must be many more empty sites that would be cheaper to buy and kit out than to shell out the cost of one of these breweries only to erase its identity. No, I see this as a great opportunity for the management, staff and customers of these breweries to form an alliance and conduct a buyout. Perhaps they will need some help from private equity, I'm not sure what the asking prices are from Lion, but in the hands again of people who care about what they're producing, who care for the community and are invested in the craft beer ethos, I can see something of a redemption for both brands and a place amongst their peers again. Of course, the first thing Four Pure need to do is to return to their old branding, or at the very least, come up with a decent new one, as the one from early last year is appalling. So we'll keep an eye on the situation and see how it develops. Right, now it's time to welcome my guest, and that's Charlotte Cook from Coalition Brewery. Hello, Charlotte. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. End of the week, so uh, that's not too bad at all. Yeah, Friday. Yeah, absolutely. Steal an Instagram term. (laughs) Indeed. Let's talk first off about the brewery you're at at the moment, Coalition. Mm -hmm. How did that start? How did you um, start with them and and what's happening? Because I I would imagine that um, a lot of our listeners have possibly never heard of Coalition before because that is quite a new brewery. Um, And so Mm -hmm. obviously, fantastically, in in the... spirit of triannuary um not dry january don't like dry january um, <laughs> so in the spirit of triannuary um you know hopefully it's something that they might sort of perk up their ears and say oh that's something i've not heard of and give it a go um so tell us a little bit about the brewery coalition is a fairly new brewery it has been gone for a few years but brewing out of hepworths down in sussex and andy down there has been doing a really good job of doing all the beers um, we're in the process of setting up a brewery, but obviously with Brexit and COVID, everything becomes a little bit tricky. Mm. Um, but there's a lovely group of guys who I'm working with and we're working together to get everything going. Um, we work a lot with chefs, so we'll create beers to complement a chef's menu. So we we did one for Ottolenghi. Yeah, okay. so Yotam Ottolenghi, the chef, we made a beer for as well as for G, which uh, is run by Michelin star chef Gregory Marchand. And uh, also we did one for Tando Chop House, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will know is just opposite from the Harp in Covent Garden, Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is a great Indian, Indian restaurant. We did a really nice wit for them. So uh, it's really interesting to go. Yeah, so coming up with beer that complements a menu and then developing it with the chef which is a really nice process absolutely is and so those beers will only be available in those particular uh, restaurants and also from our web shop and also oh, okay. from the restaurant shops as well yeah so you can get it on the Ottolenghi web shop as well so right Super. it's available <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Yeah. And um, so what other beers are you doing that uh, are you know, purely coalition beers? Um, so working on alcohol free beer as well. So looking at that being a lemon elderflower alcohol free beer, which should hopefully be nice and fruity and fresh and a good one if you're having your lunch or you're just 
having a day off. Mm-hmm. Um, also working on some Japanese inspired beers using some quite unusual ingredients, which is good fun. Um, but it's a lot of R&D. <laughs> some, you know, getting an ingredient that you haven't used before and then working out how best to use it. Yeah. But that's also good process it's a good learning process for me as well because it makes me use my brewing skills rather than just thinking oh, i'll chuck it in so yeah. that's uh, that's good so <laughs> I mean, like are that. you are you an experimental brewer do you like to sort of play around with um its own ingredients i love it it's one of my favorite things to do um and so we've been doing it in some kind of small batches just testing out with uh, 30 liters or so then seeing sort of how that is because a, a small homebrew batch is never going to give you the, the true idea of what your you know thousand liter batch is going to taste like mm. but it gives you an indication of whether or not it works and so that's really good and I love the testing I love I even like getting it wrong because if you get it wrong then you have to kind of figure out where you went wrong and what you do to to undo that next time yeah, I guess learning from mistakes, nobody ever does everything perfectly first time, right? So, oh, no, uh, never. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm sure there are a few people listening that are saying, no, no, I do everything perfectly every time. But yeah, I mean, it's as you say, yeah. you know, it's good to sort of make mistakes and figure out where that where that came from. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of ingredients, then what what's your favorite one to to sort of and not into, you know, I, I guess perhaps in terms of ones that are a bit out there. Um, I do like working with flowers, okay. so I enjoy using flowers for flavor and for color. Um, they never quite taste the same as they do. You know, if you smell a rose, it's never going to taste exactly the same as mm. when you soak it in beer for two weeks. <laughs> um, I really like working with flowers and also you can get like flowers that will turn the beer blue or things like that, which is good fun. Right. I've been playing around with yeast nutrients as well that people use in winemaking. So in winemaking, it's very common to put in a yeast nutrient uh, that will give a particular amino acid profile to, you know, your fermentable, whatever it is, be grapes, wort, potatoes, um, yeah. that will then provide different flavors in fermentation. So I've been playing around with that a lot as well to get kind of more floral character from the fermentation by adjusting the amino acid profile. And that's quite interesting as well. I'm just at the beginning of starting to play with that. So yeah, kind of anticipate that things will be growing with that. Um, Like, you know, I've also been waxing lyrical to other brewers about trying it out as well. (laughs) So um, yeah. Oh, that sounds very interesting. interesting. Mm, Absolutely. Um, and I've also been playing around with different sort of like peppers as well. So like Szechuan pepper, which will numb your tongue, which isn't something that we're really used to in beer. Yeah. So that, that's very much in the 20 litre. <laughs> um, yeah. Beer thing. <laughs> but it, it is, it's interesting just to try something that you don't expect to happen with a, with a beer. Mm. Um, whether or not other people find it interesting, I'm not sure. Or they just nod politely if I give them a taste, but... Well, yeah, I mean, it's obviously, you know, a lot of people will like to just stick to what they know, what they know mm-hmm. best, um, you know, try the same or pretty much have the same beer. Some of my friends will 
very, very rarely depart from, mm-hmm. say, four or five beers. Um, but of course, there are still a lot of people that just love that uh, challenge of, of trying new things out and not just new beers and new breweries, but um, completely new flavor um, combinations. So that, that mm-hmm. would be right up their street. Absolutely. I bet. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so, uh, so you said about obviously that uh, you're looking for, uh, or, the, or the Brewery Coalition are looking for their own site. Uh, whereabouts is that search centralized at the moment? Um, so, we're going to be in Balham in South London. So, uh, you know, maybe about, it's about 15 minutes south of Waterloo or Charing Cross. So, mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to get to from central London. It's also a really nice area. It's full of independent shops and restaurants and stuff like that. So I think it'll be a, a nice home for a nice independent brewery. Absolutely. Yeah, sounds good. Are there any other breweries around the area? Not that I'm aware of. Um, there are some in the kind of Clapham Battersea area. So there's mm. Distortion, which are just off Wandsworth Road, um, run by guy whose name has now completely <laughs> slipped my mind um but uh really nice really good beer a lovely little space it's a tank bar and lovely fresh beer um and then obviously there's mondo not so far away yeah and uh sam brooks are pretty close by as well so mm. nothing nothing in the immediate vicinity but the close by neighbors are all pretty good yeah so places that somebody, you know, that people could perhaps go to the area and just sort of go around, even yeah. if it's not, if, even if it's not like the beer mile in Bermondsey yeah. where you've literally got, you know, uh, others on the doorstep, it's still within, within a decent traveling distance. Yeah, easy, easy to get to. So between say Mondo and where Coalition is going to be, it's a short walk across Clapham Common, which will give you the chance to sort of sober up and get a thirst <laughs> on for your next beer. So yeah absolutely absolutely okay well that's that's brilliant look forward to that any kind of time scales or is it sort of still up in the air so hopefully everything within you know the next few months provided that we don't get any sort of new variants or mm. you know, any any strange strange wackiness from politics so yeah um, well we're working really hard on it yeah well so, i mean uh, I, th- I think the strange wackiness from politics is uh, is pretty much a given. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's hope there aren't any um, variants for sure. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid the politics are something that's um, well out of our control at the moment. I guess, unfortunately, sadly. sadly. Uh, right. So let's um, delve back a little bit further. Well, all the way back to the beginning of your uh, your beer your brewing journey. Then, because um, mm-hmm. as I understand, uh, you. Um, you studied law at university, um, yes. but then decided, ah, I don't want to do that. I'll do brewing instead. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> law felt a bit stuffy. I figured I wouldn't be that happy if I was sat in a sat in an office all day. Not yeah. much happier freezing, freezing to death in boots and soggy yeah. jeans. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I guess that perhaps it sounds more glamorous sometimes um, because of all the uh, law um tv shows on and you know people up in court everything it might sound a little more glamorous than it in reality is 
yeah, it's not, you're not going to be kind of like, you know, rushing up the old Bailey steps to sort of hand your newly found evidence to the judge who'll then say, not guilty and everybody claps. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. But what actually happens is that you're reading through extremely tedious textbooks and statutes and charging for every 15 minutes of your time and every dull letter that you write and yeah. you're just sat in a fairly soulless little room kind of slowly counting down to death whilst amassing probably quite a lot of money that you then have to spend on really expensive wine and skiing holidays mm, to yeah, yeah. get any validation from your miserable life absolutely absolutely or craft beer <laughs> or, or you could like i say stand to the freezing cold brew house at three o'clock in the morning for 12 pounds an hour wondering what all went wrong living the dream that's what it is living the dream that's, that's <laughs> the dream yeah so <laughs> yeah um so, so when you went into brewing then you started mm-hmm. off at, up at Brewdog. i did yes okay um and how was that <laughs> um a mixed bag i would say um i was very very excited to get the job um, I learned a lot. I did learn a lot. Um, for you know everything that you can say about the culture of brew dog management, various things like that. And obviously, I can't speak for how it is now, but I imagine it is probably fairly similar. There actually was a lot of emphasis on quality and good processing and things like that. So it was a good place to learn how to be quite a, a brewer who paid attention to what they were doing and who understood why you were doing things for different reasons. Right. Um, so I was taught by, you know, a, a bunch of guys who were probably about 10 years older than me at the time. And yeah, they kind of taught me an awful lot um, and they were very good. And then there's also all the other many things I'm sure a lot of your listeners will have heard about Brewdog where it was a fairly difficult workplace at times as well. Yeah. And mm-hmm. It wasn't all kind of uh, bread and roses. It was also kind of uh, yeah. a lot of negatives too. But if we want to look at the positives, it was definitely a place where you learned how to brew and you learned how to brew well and you knew what it was that you were doing and why. Mm. yeah okay okay um but then uh so how long were you there for was there for three years okay so the reason that I actually left was um I was quite unwell um it turns out I've got an autoimmune disease that's called lupus oh right um which I'm sure people will have heard of but it just kind of has all sorts of different impacts from your internal organs to joints and skin and things like that and I was just really quite unwell and couldn't do 12-hour shifts and was just basically Mm. slowly rotting (laughs) Um, and it wasn't a very enjoyable period of my life yeah um so I moved back in with my parents, which, you know, I'm pretty sure most 25-year-olds don't relish the thought of uh, 
of, of being an invalid at home, but that's what happened. And, um, and then got treatment, the treatment worked, and now I'm largely fine. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, that's good. I did, you know, it, it's I, lupus is one of those things that I've, I've heard the name, but, um, you know, if I was pressed to sort of say what it is and how it manifests and yeah. whether it's treatable, you know, it's one of those things that I, I would say I really don't know. So it's interesting to hear you, you're talking about it and, and the fact that it, you know, it is treatable. Probably most uh, most GPs also have not really ever come across it. Really? So, <laughs> yeah. You go to a GP and say kind of like, oh, I've got this symptom. I think it's to do with lupus. Can you refer me to the lupus center nearby? And they'll be kind of, oh, it's got nothing to do with that. And then six mm. months later, <laughs> you're, uh, you're on a course of steroids and everybody's telling you, why didn't you come in sooner? yeah frustrating yeah Yeah, and also everyone always makes the joke of it's never lupus but sometimes it is yeah Yeah. (laughs) so i mean is that just a a a genetic condition or just something um it's just sheer misfortune really it just seems one of those things that happens um no real rhyme or reason some people get it some people don't and Mm. I'm quite lucky in that mine is actually really very mild. Um, right. Okay. So that's why I'm able to just kind of take take two tablets a day, and I'm pretty fine. Mm. Other people be on, you know, all sorts of in, intrusive therapies, transplants, things like that. So. Mm, right. Oh well, um, that was good to hear that um, that it's all uh, turning out okay for you. That's good. Um, so. Obviously, after your um, your treatment and your your convalescing period at, um, back at your, your folks' house, uh, you were itching to get back into brewing. So, wh- mm-hmm. where did that where did that take you to? So, I was very briefly at Windswept Brewing up in Lossiemouth, um, and let's just say that that was fairly similar to Brewdog in culture. And the less said about that, the better. It was a fairly unpleasant experience. Right. Um, then after that. I went to Pohjala in Estonia. Wow, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a move, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, I've been before. I've been and I'd done a meet the brewer in Tallinn, and I loved it. It's a great city. Mm. Um, it's definitely one to want to put on your list for beer and culture and just general prettiness and niceness. Yeah. Um, so I was there for just over a year, and that was a really interesting experience. Both the living and working abroad, but also the brewing there was interesting. Used a lot of unusual ingredients, a lot of Estonian sort of forest ingredients. Mm. So local fruit, like blueberries that were picked in the woods, um, spruce tips, which kind of the new the new uh, spruce growth that comes out in the early spring, made yeah. a bit of that. Um, also one with birch water so if you tap a birch tree like you tap a maple tree yeah you can collect the sap in a similar way but traditionally around there they don't really boil it and make a syrup they just drink it or they ferment the liquid that comes out and it makes kind of like a bit of a sort of like tree kefir I guess okay (laughs) now I've had some pahala beers um before I, I think pretty much exclusively stouts um mm. and 
probably pretty much exclusively imperial stouts Um, and they are always absolutely fantastic and as you say um quite quite different as well um because of because of the ingredients used i'm sure um so very interesting brewery for you to to go to and perhaps learn a whole new side of brewing i did i learned a lot i learned a lot there um kind of brew dog that was always hop heavy whereas at Pohyala kind of learned a lot more about the nuances of malt and yeast and water and things like that Mm. so that was a definitely a really valuable experience um so I wasn't there for too long um but I really enjoyed being in Estonia and still really like going back it's been obviously a while since I've been but really excited to to go back and see what's happening there because mm. there's a lot of breweries springing up and they're making mead and things and it's a really cool place yeah i mean Tallinn uh is definitely on one of the places on my list uh to get to um and hearing what you're saying about it i think it's maybe jumped a few spaces on that list yeah. there's lots of museums and you can also just walk around the city and just sort of look at all these beautiful medieval buildings it's mm still ever so slightly off the beaten path and there's loads of interesting food as well like the chefs there they love to use Estonian ingredients as well yeah so you'll always get something that you know you're not going to get in this country you know yeah so it's well worth the trip I'd encourage anyone listening to go for a weekend and Mm. dip their toe in and have a have a lovely weekend uh, right, so uh, after uh, Pahala then, um, sorry, I know I'm not pronouncing it properly. I know that you're doing a much better job of pronouncing it than I am. <laughs> um, where did you go on after that? So I had a little stint where I helped my friend Dave out at Spay Valley Brewery up in Scotland um, while I was looking for something back in the UK. And they make really nice beer. If, I, if you're ever up in the north of Scotland, pop into Spay Valley and give their beer and gin a try. Mm. Um, then I went to Truman's, so yeah. a rather a rather grand name in the uh, in the beer canon. Indeed, it is indeed. But I would imagine a lot more strict and a lot tighter control over what you're doing. In some ways, yes. So we had a very sort of narrow scope for creation. So mm. a lot of cask beer. So really, it was actually the first time that. I'd done cask beer more than a couple of casks here and there they were still just doing cask when I started at Brewdog but it was when they were very much phasing it out to focus totally on keg yeah and so it was quite a new experience and I had to learn quite a lot about how to sort of sell a cask beer because it's very different to to keg the way that you treat it is yeah And so that was a bit of a learning curve because, you know, coming from this kind of like extremely sort of modern craft background and then coming into the sort of traditional low ABV cask world was Mm. a real, (laughs) a real learning curve. Yeah. And brewing to a budget, I guess, as well, because obviously everybody knows that cask is, is cheap beer generally. Um, yeah. For the most part, anyway. Um, cask, uh, cask, that quite a lot of it went to Weatherspoons. So, yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of, mm. there was no 
brand new experimental hops going in there. <laughs> no, no, I should imagine not. <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I did find it a bit dull as well. Um, and it kind of, somebody who likes to create the beer and to do the experimenting, if you're told that you have to create a cask of beer that all the raw ingredients come in at under three pounds, that's... Ooh. Pushing things. Difficult. It's yeah. difficult. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Calling up, calling up the hop merchant. Do you have any hops from 1997? <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing, nothing quite that extreme. But yeah. it, it must was, have felt uh, like it, though. It must have felt very constraining. It is constraining. Um, I think that you can create good beer on that maybe not quite that extreme but you can create good cask beer using the not super expensive ingredients mm. but we do have a lot of really good hops in this country that aren't as expensive as you know the uh, the headliner hops from the northwest uh, pacific northwest of america yeah true true and we do have lovely hops here but it's not necessarily what everybody wants to drink. <laughs> yeah. Well, I imagine you're talking about maybe Fuggles or Kent Goldings and things like that. Yeah. 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 East Kent Goldings, Bramlin Cross, Beautiful Hops, Jester. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, you know, the hop breeding program in this country is still alive and well. And this guy called Peter Darby, who is doing a lot of work to promote British hops, and he's extremely passionate about it and extremely knowledgeable. And I think yeah. a real asset to, British hops um absolutely well I mean I love um Olicana is for mm. me a hop that really can do the job of a lot of the um you know uh, Yakima Chief hops mm -hmm. very well very very well um so yeah that there are as you say a lot of good British hops out there yeah there's lots of great ones I think that you know we, we should all take a little look at them and not just dismiss them as being sort of, you know, the boring grandpa of hops. There are some yeah. nice ones out there and they actually also do work really well in combination with uh, American hops in a lot of cases. Right. Okay. So yeah. If you layer them, you can get something nuanced and different that you don't get if you just kind of like more citra, more sabro. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so after Truman's then, where did you go next? So I went to Hamilton up in Islington in North London. Excellent. So again, a totally different brewing style. Yeah, oh, indeed. So, so back to the keg, a little bit of cask. Um, there's not so much cask at Hamilton, but there is some. Yeah, yeah. Now, I love their um, crunch and crunchier. That's what most people like. Yeah. It's massively popular. People love it. It's not really the kind of beer that I would sit down and drink. But it's a lot of people really like it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. What is the beer that you would sit down and drink then? Oh, I mean, I love all sorts of beers. I love stouts, but I don't necessarily like flavored stouts so much. Okay. Be be it synthetically flavored or with, you know, loads of vanilla pods or whatever. It's yeah. Just not to my personal taste. I guess I do like IPAs and pale ales. I like West Coast IPAs the best out of all 
sort of IPA styles. I love like really resinous, piney, citrusy. Yeah. Sort of zingy IPAs. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. I, I can drink a, a New England IPA. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not against them. I can drink them. But if, you, mm-hmm. if you're going to ask me what, um, what IPA I want out of anything, it's going to be a West Coast every, every yeah. day of the week. Um, excellent. So are you going to be doing any of those at Coalition? So I've done a test batch of a West Coast IPA, which I think is really nice. Um, and as soon as we kind of have the, the brew kit up and running, I'm pretty sure that I'll be making lots of kind of nice, bright, zingy five percenters. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. We'll look forward to those. Um, so uh, in between uh, where you are now then in Hamilton, you went mm-hmm. to Cloudwater. Yes. What was that like? It was interesting. It was a very different experience for me because I'd been head brewer for a long time and I kind of had a lot of really difficult stuff that had gone on and I was just a bit sort of like, oh God, I just need a bit of a break from people asking me questions. <laughs> so I applied for a job as a brewer, just a you know regular old shift brewer at Cloudwater. Mm. Um. So it was very different to go from being the person telling everyone what to do to just going in and seeing what was happening and just getting stuck in. Yeah. Yeah. That was a a different thing. It was uh, also good to be back in a larger brewery. I'd only been in sort of fairly small outfits for a while. And then Cloudwater has quite a lot of staff and production, um, quite a lot going on. So that was a, a different environment again mm. um so it was a really pleasant place to work um they do look after people there's a lot of emphasis put on caring for the staff which is a really nice thing to see and i hope that a lot of other breweries take note and follow suit yeah and uh yeah it was interesting i just really hated manchester <laughs> so that kind of makes it difficult no disrespect to anybody listening from Manchester but you just you didn't get on with it (laughs) no I think you know everybody has places that they vibe with and that they don't yeah I mean I grew up in I went to school in Sunderland so I mean like you know my my uh places that I know and call familiar aren't exactly the most glamorous and uh <laughs> well regarded <laughs> i also think that sunderland's dreadful but um, <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, yeah just 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 defending great swathes of the north yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but um yeah you know it just it was a place i just never settled into and never felt at home so that kind of just made it impossible to stay there like you know you you can look after people as well as you possibly can but if everything that's outside of that little bubble of work isn't sort of lining up as well then it's not going to be perfect Mm. so I just feel like I've whinged whinged a lot (laughs) (laughs) no no not at all not at all (laughs) Um, I mean, I just want to say, though, to um, to those listening in Sunderland and Manchester, thanks for joining me. See you next week. <laughs> to, to everybody else who's not turning off. 
<laughs> um, let's carry on. Recently, we met at the British Guild of Beer Writers Awards yes. um, back in December, um, mm-hmm. where you were nominated for Brewer of the Year. Yeah. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. So how did that feel to get that nomination? It was very unexpected. So I just uh, I just went into my Instagram one day and had a message from uh, Matthew Curtis saying, congratulations on your nomination. I was like, nomination for, for what? <laughs> He sent me the link and I was like, oh my goodness me, like this is very big and unexpected. You know, I'm only 10 years into my career. I still think that I have a lot to learn and a lot to do and a lot to a lot to give and a lot to take from the industry. So to be given some recognition still, whilst you know, really I'm still really just getting started out mm. was very nice and very unexpected and it kind of also made a lot of the difficult things that we've had to talk about in the past year of beer it made it seem like it was worth it Mm -hmm. as well because a lot of the time when you're talking about issues or you're saying these things are happening these things we should sort out sometimes feels like you're just screaming into the void and then occasionally you'll get a bounce back Sometimes it'll be a good thing. Sometimes it'll be somebody telling you to shut up and get back to making beer. So (laughs) to get a bit of recognition was really, really valuable. And also from a group of people that, you know, the people who are in the British Guild of Beer Writers these are people that I was reading before I got into beer. So like, you know, Pete Brown, Adrian Tierney Jones, Melissa Cole, yeah. everybody like that. These are all people that I was kind of like reading their books so that I could expand my knowledge. <laughs> so yeah. now, and now I kind of, you know, see, see them and say, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, it, it was, it was my first um, uh, awards dinner. Um, I only joined the Guild um, last year. Um, I was there also as a nominee. Um, unfortunately, like yourself, I didn't win, but happy and happy with the recognition. But for me, walking around the uh, the room, you know, the, the bar area before dinner, um, it was just like I was, um, you know, seeing rock stars. <laughs> because, and it sounds really, really bizarre, I suppose, to people. But as you said, you know, there were people there, you know, Melissa was there, Pete Brown, Adrian, um, you know, there were lots of other people that I follow on Twitter. I mean, other brewers as well. There were brewers that I've had on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And so like yourself, like we are now, I, you know, seeing, I'd seen them over, over Zoom, but I'd never met them. So then it was, you know, it was um, Danny from Beak and um, there was, uh, um, well, Robin as well from Beak was there. Um, Stacy from Ruck Leopard. And so sort of meeting all these people in the flesh, Emma Inch as well. It's just, it was brilliant to just bump into all these people. And yeah. I just, I did sort of sort of have a word with myself saying, you know, don't, don't make it like you're, you're, you're like the Oscars or something and you're bumping yeah. into, but, but that's how it felt because, you know, we're so immersed in the craft beer world. And as you say, it's not just the brewers, it's also those that write about it and broadcast about it. Yeah. Um, and to be there with them all um, was, uh, was, was quite, quite brilliant really. So. Yeah, it was great. Um, you know, a lot of people there that I knew and then others that I knew from social media. So like Natalia Watson, uh, people mm. like that, who I met for the first time in real life at the dinner. And 
yeah and like you know so many great up-and-coming people as well so like Helen Smith they're doing yes a lot of great things with Birum um and then you know like Alex from Camera who won an award that he really wasn't expecting to win yes yeah. <laughs> that was also very good to see um so I think that yeah it's great and it again like you're saying it's like you know try not to be sort of like oh I guess that for a lot of people when they get into the industry they look up to people and they kind of see what they're doing and what they're talking about it's like last week I followed somebody on Twitter uh, on Instagram and they sent a message back and was like wow this feels like I'm talking to an A-list beer person <laughs> like, oh gosh well I mean I didn't spill coffee down myself so I don't feel yeah. very A-list <laughs> <laughs> but no it's 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 um yeah it's quite quite a different feeling isn't it I suppose that's what social media has has done for uh for our well let's say yeah I'm gonna say for our generation but for for this generation I guess is that um that there is so much more interactivity you know obviously you know if we're talking film stars and whatever you can follow Tom Cruise on Twitter and you can you can send him a message and that is going to respond but yeah. but where 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 it's in this world where it's a, a bit a lot more down to earth um then yeah there is that ability to actually interact with people that you respect and admire for for what they're doing so it's a it's a a good thing I know that it's also a very bad thing which we will get on to as well but um I tend to like to focus on the good so it's it's a good thing in many ways but uh, yeah but but it also obviously can can be very bad yeah and I also think you know it's that a lot of people in this industry are really friendly and actually do want to speak to people mm. you know like the first time that I met Melissa Cole, I was really scared that she would just be kind of like, oh, whatever. <laughs> and now I know that she's an absolutely wonderful person and that I yeah. enjoy spending time with. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, she's lovely, Melissa. Um, I've, uh, no, that was the first time I'd met Melissa as well, but I'd also, um, I'd had her on the podcast way back at the beginning, I think episode four or something like that. Um, um, and then literally a couple of weeks or so before the dinner she'd been co-host um with me uh with um neptune brewery ah uh, okay so uh and and also and that's another thing as well but obviously as we're saying she's a lovely person but also for me last year only starting out in doing podcasts and, and starting writing and everything and dropping people messages and saying would you be interested half the time i'm expecting a lot of people to well first of all perhaps just even ignore my message but also um, perhaps if they're not going to ignore it to come back and say, really sorry, can't do it. But everybody is so, so great and so generous with their time. Um, and that's an amazing thing as well. So yeah, there are a lot of lovely people in the industry. I think a lot of people also just want to, they do want to get the message about what's going on out. I think that craft beer can have a little bit of this sort of image of being inaccessible so mm. you know I feel that for the person who picks up a couple of you know say dry gate cans in Tesco on a Friday night and then goes home and enjoys them and sits and drinks them then they can maybe feel that entering this world of the people who you know, 
like you know my basically my whole life is around craft beer but that's mm. because it's what I do and I feel that they can sometimes feel that they're a bit separate and I don't want them to feel that I want them to feel that they can also put their voice into the conversation about craft beer yeah so I think that's why a lot of people are very willing to speak is that we need to be open and accessible and not be behind this kind of like weird veil of inaccessibility yeah, yeah. you know what no, nobody's going to laugh in your face if you say that your favorite craft beer is Beavertown or Camden or whatever if you like it that's great <laughs> yeah and I so agree I'm with you on that um th- there are a lot of people unfortunately that will kind of turn their nose up at that kind of thing um I'm very much of the of the school of thought that if it's something you like then more power to you go ahead and do it maybe it's not for me that's fine because we're all different we all mm-hmm. have yeah you, yeah you were saying about stouts and how you, you know you like the, the 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 kind of bare bones um you know straight straight up non-adjunct stouts um which I do as well actually <laughs> to be fair I, I like them all but um I do like a, a really well made um uh you know adjunct stout if you know not when it's just throwing lots of things in for the sake of it but but a really well made one and that's the thing we are we're all different we all have different um likes and dislikes uh, in everything not just beer if we all like the same thing how dull would would life be yeah well, there'd only be one tap in the pub and we'd all yeah. just go up and have yeah. one one beer exactly. please Mark, yeah. if it would be like yeah. 1984 yeah and it'd probably be london pride <laughs> <laughs> So uh, we have touched on it a little bit um, in what we've been talking about. Um, we said about how last year, obviously, a lot of things started coming out about craft beer. Um, you know, we're talking about how great people are in the industry and everything like that. But of course, that's not exclusively the case, unfortunately. Um, and you've been involved in quite a lot of that discourse over the last uh, year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, beer is still a boys club unfortunately um it's it needs to be broken that needs definitely to be broken but in terms of what um you know Brienne Allen and Siobhan Buchanan um have exposed these incidents of you know misogyny that have been occurring in the industry for years mm-hmm. um, and a lot of us perhaps are, are quite surprised by these things coming out and surprised about where they're coming out from more to mm-hmm. the point as well not necessarily surprised that it's happening but surprised about where it's happening you're you're not so surprised about that not surprised in the slightest it's been my life for 10 years yeah I mean at Brewdog did you experience a lot of this I did yeah I didn't experience misogyny like you know James Watt never said anything misogynistic to me um, so I'm not gonna pretend that yeah but it was very much a boys club and it was just there wasn't really, there was like, you know, it was like playtime without any kind of monitor, you know? Right, um, yeah. It was very laddie. Um, and it was quite hard to be, if anything happened, it was quite hard for that to be taken seriously, which, you know, at the time I was in my early 20s and I didn't really know how to deal with it. I wasn't quite as battle hardened and sort of 
able to speak up as I am now. It's taken a long time for me to lose that fear that speaking out is going to have a really negative impact on me. Mm. So for a long time, I was scared that if I say anything, then it's either going to make things worse or I'm going to be punished in some way from some source. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just didn't really know what to do about it. And there wasn't anywhere to go, which was quite difficult. Yeah. And really affected my sort of mental well-being for a very long time. Um, Which kind of helped also you being ill. No, it was dreadful. Oh, my God. That time was honestly just some of the darkest time in my entire life. Mm. You know, you wake up and your body is beating itself up for reasons that nobody can understand or figure out what to do about it. Mm. And then everything at work is difficult (laughs) and it's just yeah I'm actually quite surprised that I managed to get through it intact (laughs) if I did get through it intact I don't know if I did so you're a signatory on punks with purpose yes okay and obviously also a supporter of unionization yes which I totally agree with you you know it's it's so to me not working in the industry at all it's amazing that that it isn't unionized as as much as I I believed it would be. I think that private sector unionization is quite low anyway, and I think it's because of a lot of misapprehensions that people have to think that they can't be in a union unless there's something very specific to represent them. So you know, if when we think about unions, I think we think about like you know coal miners, we think about train drivers, we think about midwives and stuff like that Mm. but actually anybody can join a union and they'll get the support of the union they don't need to be in the same union as their workmates so it probably is quite beneficial it's just I think that for a long time we've been sort of fed a bit of misinformation about who it is that is there for us So I think we've always been told that we're being looked after by our employers. A lot of the time we're not. Yeah. Or, you know, if you've got a problem, go to HR. Who is HR loyal to? Not to you. Yeah. And I I suppose, obviously, a company like BrewDog does have an HR department. But as you say, not so much loyal. But when it comes down to those tiny breweries that are sometimes three or four people in the entire brewery, yeah. If, if, if that on occasion, there's not going to be an HR department. There's not going to be an HR department. And I think that in those small breweries, they don't need, like they shouldn't, well, nobody should see it as being companies versus unions. The unions are actually able to help the workers to know what it is that it, everybody, everybody in the company needs to do. Mm. So they can provide health and safety training, HR support, understanding of the law and things like that. So it's not as if you join a union, then it's suddenly you and the company owner at loggerheads. It's actually uh, working together to make sure that everything for the people who are working there is in place. Yeah, maybe a symbiotic kind of relationship where everybody's working to the same goal. Yeah, it's it's not 
combative, it's collaborative. Mm. And I think that that's something that's been lost a lot, you know, probably through Thatcherism and various things like that. But um, yeah, it's there. <laughs> There's an IWW union um, currently only in London, but they can support the rest of the country for people who work in breweries um, and also Unite have a really great hospitality wing as mm. well. So it's about hospitality. They just had a big win in Glasgow this week where workers were being told that they could they had to come in even when they were supposed to be isolating or mm. they weren't informing about close contacts and things like that and pay disputes. And Unite have just had a big win with that as well. So it just goes to show that you know, the power lies when you work together rather yeah. than sitting and hoping that something might change or whatever. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so how did you get involved with um, Punks With Purpose? So there was, especially when Siobhan, British Beer Girl, was sharing a lot of stories, a lot of things came up about Brewdog and it wasn't being addressed. Hmm. And there was a lot of growing discontent amongst people within craft beer but a lot of people who had worked for Brewdog and who were kind of like come on guys you can't just keep ignoring this deal with it and it wasn't being dealt with and I think that just frustrations erupted yeah somewhat and it was kind of like you know you can't well you can't ignore this can you so well they they have they tried. And, they, and and well I mean are they continuing pretty much I know that they've acknowledge things but does is it, is it going far enough that what they've acknowledged so far and, well, how, and how they've been responding things have been acknowledged to a small degree though in October James did an interview with the Telegraph where he just reiterated that it was a high performance culture and sorry if you're shit so that basically <laughs> explains it all and it's okay because it's a high performance culture yeah no, that's not good enough at all, is it? Obviously, an absolute crock of shit, yeah. as we all know. A culture review is performed by a third party, and the high-level findings were published. And Brewdog tried to spin them as something good. They're not. They actually don't perform particularly well in any of the metrics. And there's also a point where it says that people feel afraid to speak out because of James's past behaviour. Hmm. and also there's a lot of upsetting stories which can't be ignored which when Brewdog went to the press and explained hey look things are getting better they conveniently chose to miss out which you know it hmm. is that's basically like going to your mom with your school report that has like you know an A for you know two subjects but D minuses for everything else. Yeah. We'll lap it up. There's not a lot of people who are holding them to account, which is why I think it's really important that punks with purpose keep holding them to account. Yeah. Um, because they can't ignore it. And I actually think that within craft beer, a lot of people are just like, come on, guys, stop it. The it's not over. The scrutiny hasn't finished i actually think the scrutiny is probably increasing mm. they need to stop playing games and acting like they're a tiny company that 
nobody's really paying attention to. They are the ones who've courted the media. And so they can't shit the bed when the media starts to scrutinize them, Mm. which is what they're doing. You can't have it one way and not the other. No, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, they should. They need to just stop being children. Yeah. Which is what they're still doing. They act like they're this tiny little company, but they're trying to trying to list for two billion pounds. Yeah, <laughs> which and is not which... not going to come when you try to lift <laughs> two billion pounds. Then I don't know what fucking planet they're on. No, absolutely um, not. I mean, what, with the recent announcement um, yesterday from Michaela uh, that they are mm-hmm. employing hand and heart, uh, mm-hmm. Kate, Kate Bailey, mm-hmm. to um, to to sort of be that that third party that you refer to um, uh, that the Brewdog uh, employed. Well, obviously a different third party, but. Um, how are you feeling about that announcement? Is this what you hoped with in, in terms of Michaela's transgressions? I think that what um, Fanny Wandell and Kate Bailey have done with Michaela is incredible. I think that Fanny, she just didn't let up with her holding the, like, holding the microscope over them. And it really paid off. She did an incredible job. And then Kate's done a wonderful job with figuring out a way to then amplify that so with the podcast series which if any of you haven't listened it's called super cool toxic workplace Mm -hmm. and I think there's about seven episodes it's pretty hard going at times it's not a bedtime listen but it's really engaging it's really well done and that kind of made it so that Mikola just had to go like hold their hands up and say like mea culpa and then they engage Kate so it is quite different to what Brewdog did so Brewdog have just had a culture review but they've published the high level findings which they said that they would publish they never said they would publish the full findings Mm. so if we ever see that I'd be incredibly surprised um so Mikola are actually going down the route of reconciliation which I think is the right thing to do because Mm. there's a lot of people with a lot of hurt and they're saying sorry what can we do to make it better and I think for some people that's going to be monetary compensation for others it's going to be funding of therapy and things like that which is quite frankly you know what that's just what Brewdog need to do yeah I was going to say is it I mean to hand and heart perhaps need to be sort of getting in touch with Brewdog as well and saying so look what uh, look what Michaela are doing it sets, do the same thing. it certainly yeah. sets a precedent and I think it's a precedent that Brewdog need to be looking at yeah because what they've done is they've said we don't recognize this which is basically just completely negating any culpability that they have for anything negative mm. And then they're also saying that everything, it's anything that gets mentioned now, it's dredging up the past, it's done, it's gone. But if they don't admit any culpability and if they don't do anything to work towards reconciling the hurt that they have caused, and I think that they've realized and they have acknowledged to a very small extent that hurt was caused, then they're not actually doing anything that's just like you know a kid sitting going I'm sorry yeah you know it's not real 
it's not it's conviction. Not, it's not heartfelt. It's not it's not no. actually meant. It's saying it for the sake of just getting somebody off their backs. Yeah, and like I said, the interview that James gave to the Telegraph, where he just reiterated it was a high performance culture, and you know you can't you can't have an exciting workplace and blah blah blah, bull fucking shit. Mm. I worked there for three years, and I've worked for three of the top fifty breweries in the world. Are you trying to tell me that I'm a shit brewer? Mm. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. Yeah, absolutely, oh. absolutely. Hell yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're just unable to accept blame and will continuously just try and push it around. Mm. It's like, you know, we're seeing it just now with the Prime Minister. (laughs) It's exactly the same, exactly exactly the same. same. Yeah, yeah. And there's enough people with skin in the game who, once the top domino starts to fall, then they're going to fall as well. So it's just very much just a whole, it's a, you know a raft of people holding on to each other for dear life hmm. full fully aware of what they've done yeah and being completely unable to admit to what's happened on the top level because as soon as the you know the dominoes start to fall then they're going to be a domino that falls you know it's like rishi sunak and dominic Raab and everybody currently trying to pretend that having parties when the rest of us were all sitting outside at Anana's funerals that it was yeah. fine to have a party. Yeah. And we all know that it's not. Indeed. And you know what? I think that if we can start setting precedents across the board, then it's going to be a lot harder for this to do to yeah. keep going on. And like I said, the scrutiny isn't off. The scrutiny is continuing. Mm. It's all and I know fine well that Brewdog have lots of people watching everything that I post on social media. So you're going to hear this. The scrutiny is not off. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a real time for change in 2022. Hopefully, it's going to be really that year. So. I mean, the, we know they're there. We we won't go into um, all of the allegations. We we'd be here until next Thursday, I think, if we did. Um, but there are even some that um, are totally, totally ignoring anything that's uh, said about them. Uh, obviously, in the hope that it goes away as well. Um, and so your your um, message to them is just the same as as with Brewdog. It's not going to go away. You've done something. It's going to come back and bite you on the ass. It's not going away. It's continuing. And if you think that we're going to run out of steam, then you're extremely, extremely incorrect. Mm. There's really nothing more motivating than hanging bastards by their own rope. <laughs> That's an image to conjure up, isn't it? <laughs> I'm very much my mother's daughter. These are like <laughs> the things that she taught me to do when I was little. I've always been, actually over Christmas, I was talking to my mom and about kind of everything that's been happening. Mm. And she said that like, even since I was a teeny little, you know, knee high to a grasshopper, she was like, if you thought that something was wrong, then you were extremely vocal. And it got me in a lot of trouble when I was little. <laughs> Just like, you know, you, you've never been one to see an injustice and it, like, you know, put on the blinkers and walk by. It's just like, you've yeah. always been. It was, it's like, got in a fight with a racist on the tube. <laughs> All sorts <Ooh>. of <laughs> well, I got so, yeah. into, I should get him into the, uh, into the evening standard. He was really? in a headscarf. Oh, wow. Took photos and confronted him and it got in the evening standard. Well done. 
Um, but nobody nobody handed him into the police. So. Oh right, okay, well, that's a shame. But, but you, you know, stood up. You stood up for what you saw. So I mean, that's all you can do at the end of the day. And other people in the train did as well. It wasn't just me. Hmm. But. It was. It was just like my, my parents had just arrived in London and within about half an hour, <laughs> manhandling racists off a train. I <laughs> say so you're with your parents at the time as well. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to London. <laughs> it's not quite the same as the Highlands. <laughs> no, not, not quite. Not quite. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, keep on doing what you're doing. And uh, obviously, you know, as we said, hopefully... That changes to come about and you know any listeners thinking about what they can do so if you see people who in brewing are using sexist imagery or racist imagery homophobic or transphobic imagery in their marketing then do call them out um you'll have a lot of support from a lot of people who have a voice in the industry and also you'll have support from people like Siba who really are trying to stamp that sort of thing out. Um, if you hear people speaking like that in tap rooms, then tell the management and the management will by and large not want that in their establishment and they'll go over and get them out. Um, yeah. A lot of people in beer want beer to be accessible to everybody and we need to keep pushing towards that. Yeah, excellent. Okay, brilliant. Uh, right, okay, let's... Let's change the, the, the tone a little bit. Okay, Twitter. Mm-hmm. You are at I Like Otters. Yes. What's so great about otters? Um, I don't actually really know. I just don't know <laughs> name. Just, just the name. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm not even that keen on them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was me thinking there was this incredible backstory about how you once nursed an otter back to health. and No, no that's quite violent. None of that. <laughs> well, I thought that actually. I thought I thought they were a bit uh, they're a bit nasty. There's a story in the Guardian two weeks ago about a guy who was like walking through a park and then got like mauled by a tribe of otters. Really? <laughs> and they got off Tory Nutkin's finger. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're 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 vicious little bastards. Right. Okay. Well, they have okay. tiny human hands. Ooh. So, Weird. Mm. Yeah, I'm not actually that keen on otters. It's just like. I don't know. I just thought it was quite a funny name. I was 19 when I came up with it. Right. So you were coming up with a Twitter handle and thought, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and it tends to be quite a conversation point because people say that it's a very good Twitter handle, but I'm not sure if I agree. <laughs> but you can't change it now. It's uh, done now. You've, you've had it for long enough, so you can't you can't change it now. <laughs> and I'm never going to be one of these people who has their job in the Twitter title. Um, yeah, I'm too cool for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, so um, yeah, I uh, spoke to Bates and Miranda from Duration for the Christmas oh. episodes, and I always ask my guests for a question for the next guest, and you obviously hit the jackpot because you got one from Bates and one from Miranda. Oh, lucky me! Lucky you, two questions to answer. So I'm going to start with Bates. Um, and Bates asked, "If you had the choice, looking back, would you stick with beer or go somewhere else?" You know what? I've talked about this quite a lot. In that, I felt that 
kind of with my career I felt that I was really focused on work for a very long time and I sort of missed out on a lot of things in my early 20s like traveling with my friends and things like that but the way that it's kind of turned out now is that I actually get to travel for my job and I get to go to exciting places and stay in slightly nicer hotels than maybe I would have when I was 22 and I'm probably making more of a difference with what I can do at the minute than maybe I would have been in any other industry like I'd have been a loudmouth rabble rouser whatever I did that's (laughs) gonna be my cross there for the rest of my life Um, but I think that actually everything's worked out quite well I think yeah I'd missed out on that and I wish I could have done it but also you know I'm going to North Carolina for a conference next month and I'll get funding to go and do it and yeah nothing wrong with that is there and the work that I've put in and that's a really positive thing Mm. so yeah let's I would probably stick with what I've done um you know even for the misery that I've been through with a lot of things I'm not sure that I would change what I did because it's given me the impetus to be proactive in improving things and I think that's important if you just kind of coasted then yeah and also, if I continue to be a lawyer, I'd probably be doing something completely different anyway. I'd probably have moved to the Isle of Butte and <laughs> the log cabin and just like made my life smoking oysters or something. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so Miranda asks, if you could add one thing to beer and if you could take one thing away from beer, what would, what would they be? So if I take the, away from the beer industry, I would take away shit bosses is what I would take away. And I'd take away people who set up a brewery to make some money and then exploit people to develop their brewery and make their beer and look after their beer. They can all get in the bin. And if I... Oh, and also i take away lactose. Um, okay. <laughs> If I could add one thing to beer, I would add unionization. Yeah. So I'm sorry, that's a terribly political answer. No, no it's, <laughs> it's, well, it's a question to you as to what you feel. So if that's what you feel, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Okay. So uh, as well as shit bosses um, and, uh, you know, people setting up breweries just to, um, just to make all the money and make everybody life misery uh lactose as well because you know yes. like lactose is is, is pretty evil yeah <laughs> yeah yeah get rid of it stop putting it in your beer yeah, just, just learn exactly. how to brew properly there's no place no place in the beer whatsoever right <laughs> okay uh so i wonder if you could uh give me a question so that i can pass that on to my next guest what would you say to the first person who gave you your first chance in beer so if you if you were standing face to face with the person who gave you your first job in beer, what yeah. would you say? Right. OK, fantastic. I'll ask that question to the next guest. But your answer to to that question, if you're answering that yourself. So the person who actually did do that for me was uh, Stuart Bowman, who is the head brewer at Brewdog, in which case I'd say thank you. OK, 
He's one of the good guys. He's a lovely guy. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Because, yeah, I mean, I guess in all companies, we're saying about BrewDog and the issues, obviously not all of them are, not all of them are like that. Yeah. No, and that's it. It's like, you know, the vast majority of people who work at BrewDog are good people who want to do a good job and need to pay bills and live their life and enjoy it. And I think that it's very easy to get the the negative from a few bad apples. Yeah. And then, you know, tar the whole lot with that. And it's not the case in the slightest. It's mostly just, you know, very normal people trying Mm. to do a good job and we shouldn't punish them for that. Mm. And they're all also like, you know, really good people like Stuart Bowman. So, yeah. Very true, very true. Okay, well, uh, that's all we've got time for. Um, Charlotte, thank you so much for spending the time chatting with me this evening. Um, It's been great and it's been very interesting covering the whole range of breweries that you've uh, worked at and the different kind of brewing techniques and everything. That's been fantastic. And also very interesting to talk about the culture that is uh, ongoing in, in craft beer at the moment that hopefully we can get in the bin as quick as possible. Yep, most definitely. Thank Excellent. you for having me on. Not a problem at all. Thank you. Cheers. Hey. I really enjoyed that chat with Charlotte and I look forward to Coalition's site opening up, hopefully this year, and getting down there to try her beers, especially that West Coast IPA that she's promising. Uh, if you want to follow Charlotte on Twitter, she's on at I Like Otters, even though she doesn't. And Coalition are on at Coalition Beer. As this episode was delayed by a week, that means the next one is only a week away. And that will feature Johnny Hamilton from New Barnes Brewery up in Leith, Edinburgh. So I look forward to speaking with Johnny and welcoming you all back again next week. Thanks for listening. Bye bye.